Welcome to Now I See, a place where people share their eye-opening moments and how it changed the way they see themselves, their world, and their place in it. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired by the stories you hear and challenged to see things in a whole new way, too. Sit back and enjoy this show that we've prepared especially with you in mind. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. Today's guest is David Witt. Welcome, David. It's fun to be together and uh, talk about even stories we have together, of times we've ministered, and of course, what God's doing around the world, and share what the Lord's done in my heart. So again, I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you. David is the founder and CEO of Spirit of Martyrdom International, an organization that equips and empowers followers of Jesus to boldly share their faith in places of extreme religious persecution around the world. David has personally visited more than 50 nations where leaders have been captured, imprisoned, tortured, or killed for their faith. He has written numerous books, including the Witness Development Evangelism Workbook, along with his wife, Cindy, Fearless Love in the Midst of Terror, with co-author Mujahed El-Masi, and his latest release, God's Global Grace Movement. David, I see you as focused, driven, passionate, adventurous, and with all that you've risked and accomplished, surprisingly humble. How do you see yourself? Oh, uh, Kit, you're, you're gracious, and so thank you. And by the way, good pronunciation on Mujahed El-Masi, because a I lot of people help. have problems with that. So it's an honor to be on your show. And uh, all the humility, anything that you'd see from me truly is my testimony of what God has done in maturing me, uh, what I've experienced in his grace and his love and his wisdom through the word, uh, certainly through many years now of serving the Lord, walking with him. Um, I'm a young 56 now, I could say. And uh, but uh, the through those years, I've just learned that when we trust Christ and when his Holy Spirit is leading us, our confidence can be in him. And uh, and that that confidence comes out of who he is, but it it ultimately is love. You know, I mean, it truly, God is love. Christ's mission was love. And, and when we understand that, the scriptures is full of, like even the Old Testament, a lot of people struggle with that. And, and as, I, as I go through the Old Testament now, I see God's grace is love all over it. But I didn't used to see it that way, Kit. And so um, I'm excited to be on the radio to share the ways that God has refined me and, and how the Lord wants to mature all of us to ultimately reflect his image and his likeness. Um, so yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward to wherever the conversation might lead here today. Well, let's go back to the beginning. What is your origin story? When did you first trust Christ? Yeah, so I am blessed in that I am a PPK, a Presbyterian pastor's kid, which just should give hope to a lot of people out there that God <laughs> can redeem a pastor's kid and a Presbyterian, which a lot, those who understand the Presbyterian background would be the frozen chosen because the Presbyterians always like to have fun uh, and they focus on the sovereignty of God. So we, for the foundations of the earth, were chosen by God. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, and but what God did in my, uh, my, my father was very... Jesus focused. So he actually got saved in Pakistan of all places, Kit. So it's an amazing story uh, that he got hepatitis in Pakistan and um, was in a hospital bed for five weeks while recovering. All the rest of his friends had to go back home because it's into the semester. And one of his friends left him with a Bible. He left it, read through the whole Bible. The Lord got a hold of his uh, heart. And that was really the beginning of his story. And then he became a Presbyterian pastor. And so, you know, maybe it's not surprising that 
my the the inherent spiritual heritage that my father who was saved in an islamic unreached persecuted nation that god would call his son to serve the persecuted believers and so um here i am in the, and so at five years old again my mother godly and my father and um and i my brother came home and he shared the gospel with me and I never quite heard it that way. I knew God loved me. I knew he was the way, but I never made a personal choice of really submitting my will to his will. And so I, at five years old, accepted Jesus into my heart. Uh, and, and, you know, now I've grown in that to, to realize the significance of that. That's the only thing I remember from being five years old. So I know it was significant. And yet I had a lot of growth to, to, to uh, grow in from there, uh, as we all do, uh, because I became ultimately a, uh, a Pharisee. <laughs> I uh, I was zealous for the Lord, uh, having much zeal but lacking knowledge, and uh, became very legalistic and, and self righteous, uh, and and so you know I had less the eyes down, less the flesh. I wasn't involved in any social sins and lying, stealing, cheating, sexual immorality kind of thing. But I had a lot of pride, and the Lord at 25 years old to 32, a seven year process broke me. And one of the ways he did that was using the persecuted believers to, to show me the true way of Christ. Well, that was going to be my next question. How did you go from the frozen chosen to white hot faith of the persecuted church? So that's an interesting trajectory. Oh, yeah. I was a youth pastor uh, for 10 years, decade in, in Colorado, uh, went to Promise Keepers and Promise Keepers had the voice of the martyrs there. And I signed up for their newsletter, and I was captivated by the stories of persecution. Richard Wormbrandt, his classic book, Torture for Christ. And I read everything he had. He has many books, uh, Sabina Wormbrandt. And, and, uh, and I had never read stories of the modern persecution of believers forgiving their persecutors, of modern martyrdom, of many believers losing their life for the witness of Christ, and yet their families continue on in faith, blessing their enemies, praying for their enemies. I mean, it goes on and on, and I was just floored. And so uh, my wife and I began to support them. Long story short, uh, Kit, we, uh, we, at seven years, felt a calling to serve the persecuted church, wrote uh, VOM uh, USA a letter saying, you know, what God was doing our heart, and a board member at that time got back to me. Uh, actually, technically, he's real, he was the uh, chief um, operations officer at that point. And he invited me to become a mission representative. So I started working for the Voice of Mars, worked for them for 10 years, and discovered the beauty of the overcoming persecuted church with pure, clean hearts. And that was the launch. And then in 2007, came out with the book Spirit of Martyrdom which really becomes the name of our ministry. And with the support of the leadership at uh, Voice of the Martyrs, we started Spirit of Martyrdom International. And, um, and then it is ever since then, the international offices have, you know, uh, projects we do together and, par and partner in, in the work. And, and so that allowed me to do some things that got to put upon my heart. And one is, you know, Spirit of Martyrdom is to really care for that, that honor for in history for persecuted believers um, and to serve those who are in persecuted regions, which parallels with unreached regions today. Well, that's an amazing story. So I know that you were profoundly influenced by Sabina and Richard Warmbrand. Were there other people that were instrumental in your, your formation? Well, 
I already kind of mentioned one, but I call out again. Uh, my father truly was the first of four meeting one. He is one of the most godly men I know. I love my dad, been a wise counselor for me. My mom has truly been a nurturer, love the Lord, nurtured that foundation. Um, and then I've, I've been, a, I'm a bookie. I love reading. I, my line is uh, leaders are readers. Uh, you know, so I, I've read a lot. I, I like um, a, a lot of different authors out there. Many of them have influenced me at different parts of my life from R.C. Sproul, John Piper, um, you know, and I can go on and on about different people. Today, I'm even enjoying Tim Mackey and John with the Bible Project. Those guys, I think, are brilliant for context. Um, you know, I just, I love reading uh, kingdom books, mission books, uh, Russell Stendell in our personal friendship. Now he's written over 60 books too. And I, of course we're dear friends and he's one of the directors with us today. Uh, so I have a lot of very, I would say stellar top tier leaders, I guess what Christ has matured greatly to help format, uh, my thinking, uh, my experience with Christ that has, really shaped who I am and the kind of leader I am today and who I'm attracted to and what I do. Tell us about one of your first international experiences, uh, the first time you experienced persecution. Wow, that's a great question. I'm humbled even counting me in that group, to be frank with you, Kip, because the kind of people I've, I've been with believers who have been in prison for over 20 years, a few of them. Um, I've been with people beaten to a pulp. I've been with many, you know, dozens and dozens of widows who've lost, you know, spouses and loved ones to persecution. So to think that I'm even in that camp or in the league is, is a little humbling, um, to say the least. Um, so I want to qualify for that before I go in now to the reality. Have I been into war zones and, and direct areas of persecution? Have I slipped in the face of, you know, the terrorist? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I I remember, um, you know, when we were in, um, I was in Iran years ago, the Mujahideen marched by us, and I could look up, there was darkness and ferocity on their faces. And I, and we were in a darkened bus, they had no idea that Americans were like, three feet from there as they marched by the bus. <laughs> it's a good thing. Um, you know, because in their minds were the arch enemy kind of thing. But I had a heart for them. I thought, you know, if, if all I knew was them, they, I had their experience, uh, just like I'm radical for Jesus, I would have very well been a radical for Islam, you know, uh, Mujahideen. M Mujahid, by the way, means, you know, Muslim warrior. Um, Mujahideen. So uh, I, I prayed for them. And, and I have a love for, for fundamentalists and, and terrorists. Um, you know, I, I've certainly, we've been in areas where times we've been threatened and we had to pull out, uh, you know, quickly in Colombia and and uh, in Sudan and in different areas, um, certainly. And, you know, and, 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 but I've just been, I, I've uh, one time, you know, we've when taking in uh, Bibles to a restricted nation, uh, they confiscated my Bibles and told me that that wasn't welcome. Um, again, they didn't arrest me though. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's light afflictions and, um, I have to wait, you know, because all the war zones, uh, you know, I've been, I was in Iraq when the war was going on. Um, I've been, I visited many prisons. My wife always has to weigh, you know, me going to these areas where State Department usually has a red zone <laughs> warning against Americans going there. Is it she, she, 
we we laugh about this. It's been beautiful. She talks about how she's always plans my funeral. And at first, I thought that was kind of a negative thing. And um, I said, honey, you don't have to plan my funeral because I'm not going to die on every trip. I'm, I can only possibly die in one trip. You know, <laughs> um, we laugh at these things. You know? And um, and she goes, no, honey. She says, actually, I have to do that. And it was a sweet moment. She said, when I plan your funeral, I surrender you to Jesus so that so that I know you're in God's hands. He's protected you. And every time you come back, it's a gift for the Lord. It's a way that I'm able to release you to the Lord. And so that it's a beautiful sacrifice and participation of my wife. Um and so that is probably the persecution that I've been able to see and observe, but it's really more, I think, through interviewing and sharing in the sufferings of our brothers and sisters in Christ that I could carry their story and their witness. How did you learn to love your persecutors? That just seems so counterintuitive. That's a great question. <laughs> and I wish there was a formula, but I can only say that uh, truly in the spiritual, I mean, it sounds trite, right? But yeah, I, I truly think it's the Holy Spirit and God and just in his word, number one is seeing God's heart for that. I mean, obviously he commands us for that, but that doesn't change our heart right away. So it's being renewed in my mind. But then it's all these people I've been with who have literally been tested unto death and bitterness has been a choice. They could take that path of hatred, bitterness, and revenge but they made the choice to surrender their will to the Lord and to do the right thing and to love their enemies. And I've been with them and I've cried with them and we've prayed with them. And it's been so powerful. I mean, it even brings uh, tears to my eyes. If I think about some of the believers I've been with, I mean, I can't imagine kid going through that and not wanting to absolutely hate my enemy and take a shotgun and, and, and bring justice in my own power. But somehow they're able to release it and to speak a blessing and God gives them peace and heals their heart. And I've been, I think I've been able to, cause I've shared in their suffering. I've been able to share now in their victory that they've been a demonstration to me of the power of the love of Jesus, the power of forgiveness and, and what, and what the Holy spirit could do in, in us when our, again, our spirit, our will, our decisions are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think what you're saying and uh, what I hear the persecuted church saying is they want something more than revenge. They want something even more than justice. They want mercy um, for themselves mm -hmm. as they learn to let go of things. And they know that if they hate their uh, oppressors, they're never going to have an opportunity to speak to them, not yeah. to speak to them the grace of Christ. And that they want more. Um, and so that's what kind of fuels my fire when I pray yeah. for the persecuted church is mm. that they would want the higher thing, the better thing. Mm. Listeners, so we're going to take a break right now, and we'll be back in just a moment with our guest today, David Witt. Friends, we've got an exciting announcement. The Now I See e-magazine is getting ready to launch next week. It's full of fun activities like the virtual walk run for Athena, delicious recipes, spring fashion and shopping tips, beautiful photos, links to articles and entertainment we think you'll enjoy, and a few jokes that will make you roll your eyes, <laughs> because that's how we roll at Now I See. Our theme for the month of April is RISE, and we're also releasing a four-week RISE Bible study that celebrates not only Jesus' resurrection, but takes a deep and meditative look at other scriptures where the name and the glory of the Lord are on the rise. 
We're looking forward to getting your feedback on both the e-zine and the study so that we can better meet your needs going forward. As always, we hope you'll rise up and share this podcast with people you think need to hear it. And if you haven't done so already, please leave a good rating and review. That always lifts our spirits. I hope you enjoyed our uplifting conversation with Rebecca Rafe last week, and will be joining us for a fun conversation with musician Joelle Salazar next week. Now, for more hair-raising tales from the persecuted church, it's our guest today, David Witt. And we are back from our break with our guest today, David Witt. So, David, we left off talking about the um, international missions and adventure. But I want to talk a little bit about um, how adventure was formed in you. Were you always an adventurer or did that come with the territory? <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's kind of that's my personality. I've always loved adventure and the fullness of life. And, uh, you know, I've been more on the risk taking side. Uh, and, 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 and the Lord uses all personalities uh, for sure. And, and he had to rein that in though, before uh, he could really use that. Cause the Lord really put press upon my heart that God could use a humble man, but he can't use a, a prou- proud man. So, uh, you know, the thing about adventure is there, it comes with a, a lot of confidence. It could be self-confidence um, or, you know, and, and which leads into arrogance and, and the Lord, but once the Lord gets a hold of that heart, I mean, we look at the apostles, I mean, like Peter, the classic, I mean, that guy was an adventurer, you know, he, uh, I, Jesus, if that's you, let, let me walk to you in the water. I mean, he is ready to go, you know, so go Christ, I think, clicks into our personality, our design, that DNA, he loves it all, he loves the diversity, but it really can't be leveraged, I don't believe, until we have lordship with him, otherwise, our personalities are used in the wrong direction, I think. And that's where sin gets involved. And so I love it that God got a hold of my heart young and then started forming me so that hopefully my adventure is focused on truly advancing his kingdom. Well, you surround yourself with adventures too. Uh, among your friends are people who yeah. have been in prison, who have left under gunfire, who have seen mm-hmm. their villages burned, who have flown into jungles, who have been captured by terrorists, who oh, you yeah. know have been uh, taking uh, boatloads of Bibles down the Amazon, you know, oh, yeah. and and uh, just crazy, crazy things. Tell us about some of your favorite adventures or ones where maybe you thought this might be your very last. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing how many times God's protected me. I've been in some crazy place. Like when I was in Iraq, I'll just go back to that. Cause I'd already mentioned it. Uh, every day we counted, uh, I counted uh, three to 10 concussions. I mean, bombs that went off to the city, you know, and it just shake all the buildings and stuff like that all day long. We would hear gunfire. I went to bed every night hearing gunfire in the distance and I kind of chuckled in. I think, okay, it's a counting sheep. I get to count bullets kind of thing. But what was amazing about that, Kathleen, is that I had peace and I slept well every night because where Christ calls us, he provides for us truly and he gives us peace and he gives sleep to his righteous. That's that's literally a quote in the scripture. So, um, you know, God is with us in the middle of adventure when it's led by the Lord. Now, if we just are pursuing adventure, that's dangerous. But if we're pursuing God's, adventure in, in God's risk, then we're in the safest place in the world because uh, he puts us there. So certainly we were surrounded around volatility 
it was a volatile situation in Iraq and many other places. When I, a classic story in um, Colombia, uh, there's a lot of detail to this, but bottom line, uh, Russell was contacted by uh, some people that he influenced uh, and they saw the, the character of his life in the uh, far, far commandante. They had held Americans for three years and then they had another handful of Colombians held hostage. Uh, excuse me, the, the Americans had been held five years at that point. Um, and, you know, Russell was held hostage for five months of the past and he knew what that felt like and he had made friends by being a witness of Christ to the FARC and the guerrillas. And, and the, and the FARC respected uh, the gun and soldiers over politicians because that's who has the real power. So they, they, they had just gotten raided and all the international news came out of where some of those hostages had been taken and it was international news and it made the FARC look bad. So about a line, it's a business. They ultimately wanted to save face and they wanted to get money for these guys. you know. So they reached out, this one guy reached out to, to uh, Russell to see if we could um, help negotiate uh, a, a exchange of, of uh, the hostages. And so Russell knew that, that for that to happen, he'd have to get somebody in high command for the military. So bottom line, to make a long story short, he uh, recruited myself and a, another guy who had been held two years um, in hostage by the FARC. So I'm the green guy. I'm the, I'm the rookie <laughs> here uh, in a plane. And so we fly um, you know, a couple hundred miles to war front and, uh, and we land uh, at this airfield. Uh, the, the military, uh, a big military, I forget what they call it, but there's about, uh, you know, thousand plus soldiers there, 1200 or so. They were holding this village with this runway literally at the gate of this, uh, the, the, the town. And, um, and all around there are four fronts of, uh, of FARC. With, so they had about five, 4,000 soldiers from what I heard of the intel. But again, the grill, you know, the government had the Apaches and everything, helicopters, they had some really good equipment there. And um, so as we land there, um, we had got, oh, and I should say this, we've gotten delayed an hour and 15 minutes that our tail wing tire had blown out the last run we had a, on, a, on a gravel road. So we had to get the tail wing tube replaced in this very remote area. And God provided it a, a wrecking yard, a, 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 that size tube with five holes on it and give it to those Latinos. They were able to hot glue gun that thing and it held air. So after an hour and a half, we were able to get back in the air. So that, that worked out pretty well, but it delayed us. Right. So it, 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 and Russell and I and the other guy, we learned to trust God's sovereignty of timing and space. And anyway, so we, we landed that runway and then the soldiers come and greet us, of course. And uh, they immediately told us that just 15 minutes before, there was a guy set up 100 yards off the runway, scopes to the runway, with a brand new uh, sniper uh, rifle. Um, there was ready to take out anybody on the uh, the tarmac, um, and they had just shot and killed him 15 minutes before. Now remember, we were delayed about an hour and 15 minutes, so we immediately did the math there. The God obviously didn't want us in the scope of a, a sniper, and we have no idea whether we were the target or not. But the reality of it is, is that was a a a true uh, endangerment to our lives and to, you know, the plane and everything else. So, um, you know, then we were able to, we had a couple of book, uh, a box of Bibles. We were able to hand out the Bibles to soldiers. Some of them would be parachuted, shooted to the, the FARC um, of God's word. Cause that's what Russell did for years. Uh, we were trying to, um, to reach, Russell tried to uh, basically the Colonel there, he tried to um, see if he would be willing to go. He was willing to go, but his higher up ultimately said, no, 
So on that trip, we weren't able to, his idea was we were going to get him in the plane because we had one more seat and we're going to fly to the park and and do negotiations. That part didn't work. Um, And so, and, but about seven months later, those hostages were finally released. So we praise God for that. But anyway, those are the kind of things that if someone wasn't willing to go Kit, what we see is is all the, the if we weren't willing to take that risk, we wouldn't have a good story right now, right? I saw God <laughs> protect us, right? Two is the all the soldiers got the word of God that ultimately even ended up in some of the Fark's hands. So who knows? Very well, I'm going to see some people in heaven because we were willing to go to the war front and willing to risk our livelihood for the glory of God. And what did I see? That God protects his his children. Um, so that's hopefully a good example of what it means looks like adventure in the work of Jesus. Well, not only is love towards one's oppressors and captors astonishing, but so is peace in the midst of such extreme risk. And yet I've seen you and Russell walk with extreme peace because you know that you're doing the Lord's work. And if he's called you to it, he's going to equip you for it. Um, and when, you know, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And and yeah. having the confidence that God does all things well uh, gives a, a sense of peace, which is, you know, amazing to those of us looking on, seeing you tackle, you know, life-threatening mm-hmm. circumstances in the natural course of doing ministry. It's really astonishing. Um, some missionaries I've observed try to mitigate risk by uh, bringing their culture with them and tr- not only mm-hmm. bringing Jesus to a different culture, but bringing their culture. Um, so can you speak to that and, and how your ministry model differs from that? Yeah, well, I mean, we, as we mature with Christ, the Lord gives us wisdom of how to interact with people of different shape, form, personality and culture for sure. And, uh, you know, as in immaturity of Christ, we always have that arrogance, which really comes that tree of knowledge of good and evil. We, we take, we eat from that fruit and man, it feels good. We're confident and, and really everybody else, everybody else knows we're arrogant except us. You know, we're the only one living in darkness, but no one has the guts to tell you. And you don't want to hear it when you're in that place. But what God does in humility is then we begin to eat from that, from him. He is the tree of life. And, 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 and then he brings that, and that's the confidence with that relationship that you type about the fruit of the spirit, like peace. When we're walking intimately with the father and we, and we recognize his voice, we can become confident in his goodness and his leading, which gives us peace. So then back to this whole idea of culture, when, when God gets all of his heart, he, the ultimate example is that God became the servant of all. He came not to, uh, to be served, but to serve. And, and so when we when I first started uh, this, God had really, you know, I'm a recovering Pharisee. So uh, God had really broken my pride and showed me all the pride I had. And, 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 and I get that exchange life of exchanging my pride, sin, brokenness for his glory and his spirit. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. And, and so God showed me the glory, the beauty, the freedom of, of serving another one another. So, so, um, so like when I was even talking about the core values of, of Spirit of Martyrdom International is that um, we, I, it was one word. I was thinking about Spirit of Martyrdom International. Is it a ministry or is it a religious organization that serves? And the Lord put upon my heart to even show it. Don't even use the word ministry because ministry codifies authority, like the minister of defense, the minister of, of housing. Um, it, it means serving still, but it, it's a it's authority with uh, with serving, but 
if we use the word servant, a slave, I mean, Christ, literally that word in the, the Greek is slave. I have come not to uh, be slaved or served, but to but to be a slave, if you did, literally for the Greek. Um, and so what we, even we do in our writing a lot of times, we, um, or, or, or our mission purpose, internationally serving uh, leaders who risk much for Jesus. Uh, and, and so God taught me that the, the, the spirit that I did need to go to every culture and every worker overseas that's risking their lives for Christ in these unreached and persecuted areas is to serve them. And so the question I, I say to all our leaders and when I go overseas, how can I serve you? And it's amazing Kit, how that has built a bridge because immediately they're like, they're warmed in their heart and they realize, wow, I'm not here to have my own agenda. I'm here for their agenda. And so that's created immediate trust building and relationship and opportunity for them to share their hearts where I can really figure out how to serve them and what their needs are. Wow, I love that. I love how you paint the picture of Jesus who left his heavenly culture and came down and adopted, so to speak, our human culture. And that's exactly what he did. He called himself a servant. And we've seen how that idea of servant as opposed to minister has really penetrated, uh, allowed the gospel to penetrate in areas Mm -hmm. where people have been bound by centuries of slavery. We think of the Delete in India, where Mm -hmm. the gospel is exploding. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and Muslim cultures, where there are certain Mm -hmm. classes of people that are subservient when they hear the message of gospel um, and that Jesus came to seek and to save, to serve. Um, That is, that's a message that they find hard to resist. Oh, yeah. Powerful. Yeah. The Christ, the God, the creator of the universe that serves us. I mean, it's hard to even get my head around that right now. It makes sense. It's again, counterintuitive, but that's what we've been talking about this entire show. Um, Well, before we close, I do want to draw attention to a podcast that you are frequently the guest on hosted by Mark Stafford at Risk Radio. Tell us Mm -hmm. how that came to be. Well, yeah, the Average Radio ultimately is a ministry out of uh, SOM International. And, uh, you know, Mark's part of our on our, our uh, development crew. And he's amazing graphics guy and just a good friend and, and a pastor too trained and is led in that. He, start, he started a house church. I mean, he started a church in our area in the past. And so just a wonderful guy in the Lord and talented. And, uh, and so we are praying about it. the Lord put upon our heart that we would start a, a podcast. And again, Mark is the host for that. I'm the anchor of that podcast. And it's all about leadership. Uh, it's uh, leading uh, in the church at risk. And uh, so we look about, we look at all the aspects of Christ and his leadership in mature leaders, especially living and working in the persecuted and restricted areas of the world. So we've done about 63 or 65 episodes, I think. So it's been an amazing, amazing journey. And we, we go in lots of, we find, share fun stories every podcast. And then we unpack pack it biblically of what, um, you know, godly and mature leadership in Christ looks like. So you're a speaker on that podcast, and you're also a speaker by invitation. How can people um, get a hold of you to come speak at their organizations or churches? Yeah, the easiest way is go on our website. There's a place where you can uh, request a speaker. Just to look at the menu and, and find that. Um, if, you, if you can't find that, just email us, contact at spiritofmartyrdom.com. But our website, again, is spiritofmartyrdom.com. And a lot of people trip up on that word, martyrdom, M-A-R-T-Y. That's what you got to remember where the Y is, Y-R-T-Y dom.com and then you can find all kinds of resources and we'd love to hear from you and see how we could serve you well let's talk about some of those resources you recently released a book called uh, god's grace the global awakening 
Did I say that? Yes. Right? Yeah. No, a God's global uh, grace uh, movement. Yes. And, um, and, and the reason I got to that is God put upon me how he's moving in grace around the world. But, but there's, but we see so much happening in India that they're actually saved the example. A lot of people would see India as the tail and so poor and unreached and, you know, all the idolatry. And yet God's doing a new work now that we're, we're learning from them. And now even the Africans are, are, you know, doing and copying many things that the Indians are doing and some other countries it's grown to. So that book goes over what the revival that's happening in India, a lot you mentioned already the Dalits that how the out which is outcast for those who don't know that name and low caste and impoverished across the board, and how they're doing Jesus together in a Jesus community and full of love and outreaching. It's it's gone over a million people now in that network, and it's just exciting. So if people really want encouragement, um, a biblically pattern revival. Uh, what God's doing. I encourage them to get it to free, but I mean, we'll, we'll give it to you just a request. We'd love to have a relationship with you. So get your contact. You can just go online and uh, request that book um, from us. And then of course we do have a lot of other resources there. I don't know, Kathleen, if there's any specific resources you are thinking about in your heart and mind that you want to be to highlight anything else. Well, those that's a good place to start. That book just is okay. a fast read, and I enjoyed it so much. And in a time where it seems like um, evangelism is a hard sell here in the United States, just to hear that God is uh, spreading good news around the world, that uh, there are places in India and Africa and um, South America where the gospel is exploding and it's and lives are being changed and transformed. It's exciting to hear uh, about God's amazing work. And so I'm so glad you captured those stories for us. Um, as we close out our show today, is there anything you'd like our listeners to see more clearly as a result of our conversation? Well, we, we always try to remind the believers that 40% of the world is still considered unreached, which means they 40% of the world has not here had a clear uh, proclamation of the gospel. They can't even get the gospel. Um, they can't get their hands on the, in other words, the scriptures, the, the, the they have no idea of the rich inheritance that God has given through, through his son, Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and in that 40% of the world is the most persecuted regions, uh, believers and Christians. And yet only 3% of all Christian resources, that's including missionaries, money given into the tithe, the offering plate, on and on, goes to the 40% least reached and most persecuted. And so we, we're encouraging by Christ to begin to pray about that, maybe even the portfolio of your prayers, start praying about it, to start reading on those things. We'd love to give you some books to be more knowledgeable of that, so you could talk about these things in a public forum. And then obviously, as the Lord leads, to give towards that and maybe influence your local assemblies and, and uh, churches to consider diversifying their kingdom portfolio uh, more to go to the, where the greatest need. And I think the, the greatest um, uh, return on investment is uh, where people respond to the gospel today. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. I have enjoyed it so much. I hope our listeners have as well. We will have all the links of the resources that David has mentioned. Uh, those will be available in our show notes and on our website. And so I hope listeners, you will avail yourselves of that. Thank you so much, David, for your time today. It has just been a delight and an, and an honor. Likewise to you, Kit. And keep up the good work. Thanks. Have, have a good week. And listeners, we'll see you again next week. We're so glad you were able to join us for today's compelling story. You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website, nis.media. 
You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise, and to Becky Salazar for our bumper music. See you next week.